clubhouse. Welcome back to Pod Clubhouse's coverage of the final season of This Is Us. This is for the third episode called Four Fathers, or maybe Four Inept Fathers That Are Always Wrong <laughs> and Mom's Always Right and They Can't Get Anything Right. No matter what they do, they're terrible fathers. Oh my goodness. Dr- Paul's dragging that baggage right into the podcasting room. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And we had foreseen that this would be Rebecca's season to shine. That means that you got to have these moments where Jack loses a kid at the mall. (laughs) Well, it definitely was not his shining moment, was it? And we definitely had Rebecca stepping in with some sage advice about how, you know, the day's not over till it's over. I mean, that's that's good advice, right? I mean, because what we fixate on as adults in terms of how a certain thing went is often not what a kid will remember because, you know, what we remember as adults from being kids is often not how our parents would have remembered that same day. I think that was like one of the biggest realizations of adulthood is like my parents probably saw that day completely differently than I did. You remember the day you first learned that you don't like fish sticks and that's the house burn down day or you know, <laughs> something like that. It's, right, right. But more like, you know, like maybe how the day-to-days actually went for, for my parents or yours, where you're like, wait a minute, that must have been kind of lonely for, for maybe our stay-at-home mom, or that might have been really, really stressful with our dad traveling or something like that. Like we didn't really recognize that as a kid. I was happy that Rebecca didn't uh, give Jack the business when she was uh, getting uh, Kevin out of the mall jail. <laughs> I definitely felt like there was some understanding that Kevin is just a little impy guy at that point where it's not like he was like so, so small. And, you know, it was like, we don't really know who this little guy personality is. We know Kevin at this point is an impy little boy. So the fact that he decided to take off from American Tale and go check out what Spencer's gifts and whatnot had, that was not really a shocking choice on his part. What was shocking, however, Paul, was that his siblings didn't squeal on him. Right. I really thought they would. (laughs) One of those parts of being uh, a, a parent or at least this parent, was those moments when you're like, I would have thought this action or this something would have been obvious, but it wasn't. So now we all have to to discuss. If one of you takes off (laughs) and I don't seem to notice, tell me right away. And that's a teachable moment for everybody involved. What parent hasn't dozed off in the movies, you know, watching the seventh Land Before Time film or whatever? (laughs) Oh, I definitely have. Man, can I tell you one of my most fearful memories of the kids being small? And we had three very similar in this situation. We didn't have triplets, but we have twins. And then our son is 10 and a half months younger. But with our girls being in the hospital for six months, everybody sort of came home and we had this triplet-like experience. My hands were always full. And I can remember this one time when the kids were maybe about two, a person had come to the door, a neighbor, and they were talking to me and they noticed behind me an open door and commented on some furniture. And I got distracted and I was like, oh yeah, we got that at this store, blah, blah, blah. Only to turn and see our middle kid halfway down the driveway of a busy street with cars streaming back and forth. 
I have never run so fast to grab her or had my heart feel like it was going to explode more than that moment. And that is the one and only time I have misplaced a child. Um, but man, it, oh, that feeling, that fear of looking around and them not being there. Oh my God. It, it's heart wrenching. For sure. What did you think about Jack's motivation to try to kind of make up time since he was working so much and really missing the kids who's coming home and they were already sleeping? It's a good instinct. It's what makes him Jack. What he's idealized as the fatherhood experience um, that he didn't get for him his own self. Kind of that course correction that a lot of adults have. Like, I'm not going to do it like my old man did it or whatever. And so he knows he's not able to do that by leaving early, coming home late, et cetera. So the weekend is his time to shine. It's just, you know, so many hours in a day and some of those you got to spend time sleeping, right? <laughs> right. Even if you got to try to catch up at the movie theater. I mean, it all made sense to me that he was, you know, trying to be in two places at once, trying to do this. And that's pretty much the theme. You know, we go back always to say like, what are, what is the theme? What's the pattern that we're seeing between the different timelines? Trying to make up time as dad, trying to spend time with your kids, missing out on moments and feeling sad about that. Overcommitting or overdoing Mm. As dad, like we'll see, Toby is probably going to wind up overdoing it. Yes, that does seem to be his MO, doesn't it? A, that's not just a TV trope. That's something we do. And it's it doesn't come from a, a shitty place, I don't think. It's I mean, there's some guilt in there. But if it, it is trying to have an impact on your kids' lives as best as you can when you're doing the other stuff, the, you know, the roof and the food and those other things that uh, that, that we do. Now, to be clear, you were making jokes at the very beginning about sort of, you know, feeling like the the dads are always being looked down upon or always being the inept dads. In our own household, that was not the case. Luckily, we had, we did have three little ones. So, um, so we all had to step up and we were young. We were only 25. And so we went from zero kids expecting one pregnancy to uh, twins and then a bonus baby right away. And so we were not expecting to have to do this. And I mean, I think that we did a great job back and forth. I definitely remember those days, though, of calling you and being like, how much longer till you're home? <laughs> because those days seem to stretch out oh so long. One of the themes of this episode that resonated with me personally was just this idea that dads look to moms as like the standard bearer for how this is supposed to go. Now, I know we had these babies at the same time. So we started parenting at the exact same second <laughs> as each other. Sure. <laughs> But somehow you just come into the equation knowing or seeming to know or acting confidently about so much more than we do. When you say that, you mean moms in general seem to be more Yeah, ready. I mean, I'm making very general statements. I mean, everybody's experience is going to be different, but I'm talking to like kind of like most of the people that I've ever met and have been parents. Sure. And I think that's also true with what we're seeing with these fathers is maybe not in the... Randall's situation. Randall's is a is a more grown up scenario mm -hmm. with with Deja, but Jack's got little kids. Kevin's got babies, and Toby has babies. 
And especially with Toby's situation, he actually has to come out at the end yeah. and say, yeah, I should have been following your lead, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and, and that's a whole thing. Like, you know, I've been reading a lot this past year about mental load that moms take on, especially typically as moms. But one partner ends up usually being the one who has to think through, like, what is the to-do list? What is the schedule? What do we have to do next? The sort of pre-planning of the days that that come. And I appreciate the exhaustion of the mental load. That's something that I don't think is talked a lot about. And I think that it's the ignoring of the mental load that causes the big friction between the two partners, whatever the scenario is, because the one partner only sees the execution. They don't see the mental load, all of the pre-planning, all of the anticipatory steps that had been taken in order to make that day successful. And because of that, I think it looks like, well, I can do, I can serve breakfast just as well as you can, but the the stay-at-home person or the person who's with the kids, the primary caretaker, tends to have already calculated, oh boy, that one had a bellyache yesterday. Oh, shoot. This one's going to have to stay up later tonight because they have football practice. So they need to eat more. Like there's more thought behind the choices than sort of meets the eye. I think that's where a lot of headbutting happens. Jack's story is pretty. It's pretty cut and dry. I mean, I would say that it is one of the first times we saw Jack take advice and lead really from Rebecca and it being really like one of those times when she didn't look to him, you know, and she was very consoling. And you're right. I think she handled it as well as any partner could. I mean, good Lord, I think that many people would be upset at the other parent if they had to show up at the mall. Think about the mental load aspect of the fact that she had written the phone number in his shoe. She anticipated that he was going to get away from one of them at some point in time and actually prepared for that and created a system so that if and when you get away from mom or dad, here's how you handle it. That's a mental load that Jack didn't even know existed. You know, he didn't know that that was already the plan. So things like that, huge. I I hope that that people have a conversation after that, maybe in their own households about like, what would we do? Do we have any plans in place? I would bet you that the primary caretaker has thought that through more than once. So we're ready to move over to Toby. Yep. Good old Toby. Okay, so Toby coming in as a traveling dad, do you feel like that is a big difference? Or do you think that for Toby, I mean, he was not very good with Jack, especially from the start of things. Toby wants to apply solutions to his life as a father. And that's like, he sends the masseuse last week. He's He brings the beeping football this week. And it's sort of like these drop-in... I don't even know if you need it. Bloop kind of kind of solutions. Right. In this episode, they lay it on extra thick with the idea that Kate knows the the nap schedule, etc., and when you can rile up a baby and when you can't. And then they had the baby crying before the recital and all that. It's all to serve this idea that that Toby's just sort of out of touch and and wants to have that. Well, it's for lack of a better term, maybe a throw money at it kind of solution when this is more of a, it's time. It's just all quality time. 
So I was taking it a little bit differently. I was taking it more like if you had to have someone representing the example of respecting the schedule, and again, that there's reasons behind why we do things, that Toby was kind of just taking things at face value. Like, you know, he likes to play with balls. I brought a ball. What's the problem with playing with a ball? Again, not doing that mental load portion where you're like, well, it depends on when you're doing it. And if he gets all jazzed up, he's not going to lay down, all that stuff. I don't think any of that's like throwaway. I think there's plenty of families who are going to watch the show who are in the middle of this time of their life. Yeah. And they're going to relate to this and say, see, this is, this. this is what I'm trying to tell you. Like, you have to stick to this. You know, even with teenagers now that we have, you know, we find ourselves you know, looking at the clock and being like, are, are you still singing in your room at the top of your lungs? Like it's too late because we do the mental math of like, you're only going to get six hours of sleep now and you're going to be a crab tomorrow and I don't want to deal with you. You know, we are always trying to kind of preempt our kids bad moods and try to avoid, you know, friction when we can. So I understood it all only because Toby has been distant in his travels and he has had to, he, he also was kind of like emotionally distant though at the beginning when he was at the gym and all that stuff that he still doesn't really respect how this all works. And and we can speak to this from a special needs point of view. We have special needs children and sticking to a routine and sticking to something that is very predictable for kids is really important to not having meltdowns. I mean, I don't know if you're remembering, Paul, but toddler kids, especially, we would get headbanging. We would get all kinds of behavior. Our one daughter is deaf blind if you were not, if her toy wasn't where she thought it was going to be. So there is definitely like bigger fish to fry than it just being like, oh, well, dad just came home and he just feels like playing right now. Like he still isn't really on board, not just what it's like to have kids, but what it's like to have that added layer of like routines important to keeping a happy home. Yeah. Realistically, what we've learned as parents of a deafblind child is, is that there's a level of anxiety and tension that exists in their body just naturally because of the lack of information coming in that the brain is expecting. Say you had that on a scale of zero to 10 and you are uh, just a normally adjusted adult with all your senses and et cetera, et cetera. Hopefully you're at a zero. Maybe you've got life problems that gets you up to a one or a two, but a blind and deafblind person is going to be at a six or a seven or maybe an eight because they just don't have the information coming in that lets them know what to expect next. If you can just put yourself in that mindset of no idea what's happening next from moment to moment. And not having that distant sense that most of the time we know what's going to happen next because you visually see it coming at you, literally visually see it come at you. If you lack that sense, then there is a whole other element here that you're dealing with with stress and why he would probably be crying and having a rougher time. To be super fair, we have a babysitter here dad's here who's not here seven days a week. So now you have like dad's voice going on. You've got these new toys. You've got mom and dad leaving and a babysitter in play. There's a lot going on here, you know, that that baby Jack is trying to take in and try to deal with with the adrenaline. I kind of think of it as like their arm, their arm hair is up all the time. You're trying to like seek that information of what's going to happen next, that anticipatory kind of feeling, and it it gets exhausting. And so there's points in time when like, he just cannot handle anymore. He's an exhausted little baby. That's what routine provides is, you know, they may not be able to tell time. They may not be able to do different things, but their body just gets used to this repetition that they know it's a source of comfort 
for them. And that six, seven, eight starts to ratchet down to more manageable levels where they can learn and be happy. But if you have dad in there and you have this nervous babysitter, <laughs> when I, that babysitter scene, man. <laughs> we had a lot of helpers because but, our hands were full. And, and uh, we, yeah. we never just shit fighted in front of. Oh, no. Uh, shit fight. It's shit fought uh, in front of a person like that. If we had a sitter. That's kind of my rule. I we, was like, you do never raise your voice to me in front of a helper. We, that baby could be crying and we'd have been like. Smiling. Well, sure. You'll, you'll figure it out. Uh, we have faith in you. I appreciated though when you they even bothered to show the anxiety of the babysitter. She was like, oh, thank God that he was going to stay and like help. Because, yeah, no, it was going to be crazy. Oh, the other thing I just want to throw out there because, you know, a lot of people don't have experience with with especially kids who have visual impairment melatonin doesn't manufacture properly so sleep schedules in particular are really really important Mm -hmm. really important because like our daughter takes melatonin and you guys actually have probably seen ads on tv where they're like are you blind you know we have this new pill that will like help you with your sleep it's a big deal so i know that kate has done the work i mean she works at a blind school i believe that she has done the work to know what's important for a blind baby i really am sad that again it's just super exposed that Toby isn't paying attention to really important parts of being a dad. It's so much more than, so what if he goes to bed a little late tonight? He'll wake up a little late tomorrow. First of all, kids don't do that. Put them to bed at midnight, they'll wake up at 6 a.m. You put them to bed at 8 p.m., they wake up at 6 a.m. They're just more (laughs) tired and cranky and mean the next day. You know, like that's just the way it works. There should have been more respect there. I think that everyone's going to feel that way, though, as an audience member. So, I was interested in, for you, you know, you were working super hard. We were actually working, you were working a second job. You were working contract work on the side um, when our guys were small. How much do you want to defend Toby in this situation and say like, you know, however do you think a dad who, who has to work and he had to leave for work, what do you think about that? About sort of, you know, standing up for the audience members who are like, Toby's a jerk, you know? Toby's not a jerk, but Toby and I differed And I'm going to just make some assumptions on Toby's character, and I'm going to reveal some about mine, I guess, which is just where we prioritized our personal sense of pride or what it meant to provide. For Toby, he wanted this job. This job was in another whole city. Does that mean that there weren't okay jobs nearby? Impossible. They live in LA. He let what he defined his own personal value of, of success and providing for his family override these other things that also mean providing for your family, such as being there. Kevin offered to like share a nanny so that they could both work locally and Kate could still work. And so he could take a lower paying job and still stay at home. Do you remember all that? Yeah. They had that sushi night. You know, those things were on the table to make it work. Those are the types of things that I would say most special needs families would be like, wow, that would be amazing. And remember, remember when Kevin said we can even bring in a specialized, um, you know, helper who could understand how to help Jack and, and be a part of it. I mean, that was an offer that, mo- I mean, my goodness, talk about like the golden <laughs> like offer. That's amazing. And the fact that you're right, pride drove Toby to be like, no, 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 I'm providing for my family. You know, we're not living in this compound thing. Remember all that stuff, Kevin, we'll build this compound and they'll raise their children together and all this stuff. When you're in the situation, you're either, you either are providing for your family or you know what can be provided for them, but you're standing in the way of it for some other reason. Now, if you can do it, do it. 
But if you're just like, since I can't do it, they can't have it, but if they can still have it some other way, but I still say no because I didn't do it. The problem's with you. I think so. I mean, but I don't know. Men's pride in particular, and I'm not saying women don't have pride. We certainly do, but a different type of pride, I think, because I think women sacrifice for their kids. Whereas like what I'm hearing you say, men will keep things and say like, no, 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 we're not going to have that because I can't provide it for you. That's pattern I see. I don't know what the what the rationale is because we made our decision a long time ago how we were going to go. Here's the ironic thing. To be honest with you, we were in this situation. You had job promotion opportunities where you would have to travel. And I looked at you and said, I cannot be the sole caretaker 24 seven, seven days a week with you just dropping in on the weekends. Like that is not going to work out. We have a deaf blind baby. We have two other babies who have their own needs. I can't handle it. So like we were Kate and Toby and we made a really defined decision. So obviously you guys were really biased about how Toby made his choice and what he did here. But it it is a real choice that most of us have seen this play out. I'm like, mm-hmm, we made the right choice because we would have been this family, right? Potentially. Kate is wearing it very well, but she's going to fray. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. She's working two well, kids. I, I wanted it's a to lot. ask you that. Do, so do you think Kate is working? It, this is super unclear yeah. to me, actually. Yeah, she works at the blind music school. But are we sure how, like how, remember, Toby, was, just was, part-time being, before. Toby was being a stay-at-home dad so that she could go to work. Remember that whole portion? So then I'm sort of like, okay, so does he work full-time and she works at the school? thing is, she liked her job. She, Very much. She didn't want to give up her job, but it was only part-time ever, I thought. Sure. I just didn't see where, like, where's her child care? Like, if they have this babysitter who's not even comfortable dealing with Jack to go to take a nap, who's taking care of the babies during the day? Why it matters to me is because if it, and we know it is, I shouldn't even say if, since it's on the table that she and Toby are going to get divorced, I'm curious about Kate's financial security. It might have been Miguel and Rebecca because they were, remember, they were on... They ta- took them to the train. Yeah, so they yeah. might be around for those days that she goes to work. That's true. Let's just assume okay. that, it, that that element of it works out. But she's still on the hook for, you know, something on the average of like 18 hours a day men. Right. You know, that's a lot. And again, you guys, I cannot underscore the extra stress of having a child who is blind or deafblind. Like this is a huge challenge. All the ways that we as sort of typically developing parents might know to teach a child something, you have to learn everything differently and then try to teach that to your child complicated. Yeah. You have to learn it while you're teaching it. It's not easy. (laughs) You're like, I don't recommend it. It's difficult. (laughs) No. Well, and the people that you meet along the way that can help you, they have master's degrees in this stuff. Mm-hmm. PhD sometimes. Right. And we're on the job learning as we're trying to parent and still values, have fun, make a memory or two, you know, and PS, you're like busy trying to learn Braille. And how do you introduce the third thing? <laughs> right. I was like looking at me like, oh my God, we've been to so many conferences. You guys, you have no idea. And conclaves. conclaves. <laughs> <laughs> we were speakers at some of these symposiums. So yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot going on here that I think that Toby's going to have to get on board or not. Now, I have to speak about the flash forward during this portion. We've got Jack. who I call Grown Baby Jack. Grown Baby Jack. (laughs) We have Grown Baby Jack with Lucy, his wife, and they have a beautiful property. I don't know if they own that property, but it is beautiful. And he's cooking at the Green Egg. That's a smoker. He is having... 
having these flashbacks. The smells are definitely bringing him to some sort of negative memory. How did you feel when you saw at the end that Toby was introducing this green egg to Kate? It's another crock pot, man. I think we're supposed to call it slow cooker, Paul. Crock pot uh-huh. does not appreciate that. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Slow cooker. It's another Chekhov's slow cooker. Then. It is. And I'm so freaked out because you know what? We were trying to think about what would be bad enough. What could cause such a problem between two parents that seem like things are going okay if there is some sort of injury or problem here because Toby is not following what Kate asked him to do with the kids you know somehow there's some sort of safety issue just generally for you will that be enough to break them up it will depend on a lot of the circumstances in this episode was sort of like a it wasn't even a warning shot in the in the game of I know more about this than you he he admitted you know more about it than me so I'll I'll follow your lead. So he said this, but there was very low stakes tonight. It was just a missed concert. There will be other concerts. It was embarrassing in front of the babysitter, but it wasn't anybody getting hurt, no one getting killed. It wasn't like that. And I would say that it seemed like at the end, Toby actually felt it in his bones. Like it did matter what the schedule was. Like I am exhausted and the kids were a handful and you had told me they were, but I actually lived it. I think a lot of dads would be like, so long babysitter and not kind of deal with the fallout of it all because he already had his bags packed ready to go the next morning. He wasn't going to deal with the fallout of this stuff, you know? So the fact that he did stay home and saw it with his own eyes and tried to deal with all, okay. I think he did actually have some amount of respect for the schedule. There's also, and this may be my own experience kind of ratting me out, but the idea that kids um, don't know better than to hurt themselves is like not necessarily ingrained in parents just like off the assembly line and maybe not dads especially or at least not this dad the idea that you're not going to just touch the hot thing or you know put yourself in harm's way we have to adapt to that for instance we had babies on oxygen very small babies and we were all in a hurry trying to get to the baby's grandfather's birthday, I turned my back for just a second and our baby somehow ambulated when she had no muscle tone at all, her way right off the couch, off onto her face, just bloop. Now we don't have like gigantic tall couches. We have normal human sized couches, but if you can't see it coming and uh, you've never done it before, falling a foot is a lot. It's a big deal if you land on your face. And man, it, I still carry this around to this day that I let my baby fall off, off fall off the couch, but I didn't have it in me yet. I didn't have it ingrained in me just yet. Gotta look at all the time. You can't, or or you gotta make some sort of adjustment for this period where you're looking away, right. you know? Gotta make a dam with some blankets. Something, <laughs> something. So all of that preamble, or as they say in The Sopranos, preambles, is meant to suggest that Toby does not have his baby fall on the face moment here and doesn't learn a lesson well enough. And he's going to have a rash of these situations where he's not looking, he's not paying enough attention, he's not parenting, and Jack gets further and further into trouble until this event occurs. Right. Well, and at one point, grown baby Jack touched to a scar on his on his head. Yeah. 
I think it was up on his forehead. Oh. I thought it was kind of like up in his hairline, which which very much implies this is going to be a head injury. Now, for those of you who don't have little kids or maybe that you somehow got out of ever having a head injury, heads bleed profusely. If he hits his head, there is going to be so much blood. That is one of those, I think, terrifying moments for moms. I, we have two who had stitches in eyebrows or head. There is so much blood <laughs> and it is so gross. You're right that there's probably going to be a couple of incidences leading up to this man when i saw that green egg first of all i thought how is green egg allowing this after peloton with sex in the city and crockpot has to deal with their stock plummeting you know after the slow cooker storyline how is green egg allowing their name to be recognized on this perhaps it's not a burn perhaps it's just the smell of the meat is enough to trigger the memory, but it's not related to the green egg, to the green egg. Maybe not. Or, uh, Hey, I'll even throw out that maybe somehow the green eggs going to have some sort of safety feature that it could have been so much worse, but thank goodness they had the green egg. And so therefore the baby wasn't actually hurt as badly as possible. If you are a uh, weak stomach person mm -hmm. or overly sensitive and you notice that we're correct and that there is blood and whatever this upcoming thing is, you should, know that they apply that stuff in visual effects. They did not have a bloody baby on set. I'm almost positive. I haven't seen the episode, <laughs> but we have seen in our screeners little things that you wouldn't even expect are visual effects. The amount of liquid in a cup or or uh, when Toby was coming out, he was holding a baby and there was a tag that said visual effects add enhanced spit up. Do you know what I noticed? Actually, in the previous episode, do you remember in our screener when uh, Rebecca turns around and says, you're giving me a friggin' headache to Nikki? And we yeah. were like, that shirt is very see-through and odd. I watched the pilot as it actually aired. Uh-uh. Completely opaque. Perfectly smooth. Nothing there. In the screeners, you guys, we could see through to her bra and like the... <laughs> it, like, it was such a thin shirt. Like, it was not good for when the lights hit it. And I'm sure it looked perfectly normal when the actual lights weren't hit it but once it got picked up on film it was so see-through not what they meant for you know 60 or 70 year old Rebecca to be wearing so but it was fixed it was totally smooth and opaque so I was like okay yeah so you're right lots of little things for sure and my stomach hurts for this family I feel like you know we I hate for it to be a special needs situation that causes the chasm between them, it, it feels so sad to me. But at the same time, we know that the divorce rate for special needs families is 90%. So knowing that it's 90%, Toby and Kate being divorced is really the only outcome that really makes a lot of sense. If you want the kid to excel, whatever that means within within that their lives, you either get on the program or you cut the fat. And, and that might be like a situation that they come into, you know, it's like Toby's not getting on this program. Kate is running the program. Yes. You know, he can either find her sign up sheet or <laughs> sign right. up someplace else. Well, and definitely we had said that the biggest appeal about Philip would be his knowledge of blind children, that that is what was going to be a huge magnet for Kate to find some partnership and companionship in him. And so even though maybe, you know, we've all had our doubts about Philip, because I really do think that they're not going to lose track of of the blind storyline for, for Jack, then in that case, 
I can see where she's going to find so much comfort in having a partner who knows what to do and what to expect. He's so casual. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say unimpressed or whatever, but, but the idea that, that he's around blindness every day, if you are a typical person just out there in the street and you come across a, a blind person, you're kind of uncomfortable. I'm, I'm just going to call it like it is. You are. I see you because I'm with my blind person and I can see you. Philip does not exude those kinds of stink lines at all. You he know. still sees them as regular children. The fact that he's like, children are awful. And he's like, <laughs> at, you know, blind children's school, you think he's going to tr- treat them like Fabergé eggs? <laughs> right. Like, not at all. Which, again, you guys, that's very refreshing for, you know, I mean, Kate looks at him like horrified. But as you go in, you know, in life and you're, again, I kind of always refer to it as like being like a purple person. And it's so hard when you don't see any other purple people in the, in the world. And when we go, say, specifically in Austin, where there's school for the blind and you see other people using canes or, you know, having the auditory cues for, for the different um, street crossings and that type of thing. There is such a relief, somebody's like me, you know, kind of moment that having someone like Philip around who's just like, yep, well, here's what you need to do differently and just does it and without thinking, without, without explaining the beeping football. Like, you know, that moment where he had to say, this is a beeping football and it rolls back and forth. And he has to explain it because he's doing it on behalf of the audience. Yeah. But if you're the parent of a blind child, she already knew about that. She was like, uh-huh. You don't need to be surrounded by people who are like constantly shocked by modified toys. You know, like you just want them to be integrated into the house without it being like, da every time, you know? If you guys don't know anything about beeping baseball, we super suggest you check out Beep Baseball. And uh, there's there's great uh, video clips and things that you can find on YouTube. It's it's very fascinating. Um, also, is it Goalball, Paul? Uh, I don't remember the name either. There's lots of different games and, and things that you can play that are beeping. So if you do have a blind child or a deafblind child and you are feeling like you want to learn more about things that are out there, definitely check it out. How are we supposed to feel when in the moments when Kevin is looking at Toby like, this guy's got to figure out he gets to have all this time with his kids and they're doing stuff did you get those those moments that jeal- that of jealousy between Kevin and, and Toby well I thought that when he was trying to uh Toby tried to do like sort of a jack speech with the triangle and putting together the pieces and the triangle is the strongest thing and so now you have to think of your family as you and Nick and Franny and you're the triangle and stop thinking of the square that was all well and good for Toby to get to say when at the moment he's a square. Yeah. He doesn't have to think about it that way. But I think that, yeah, the, the Kevin storyline ratcheted it up. Okay. So now what if you are a father who has even less access to his kids and is really feeling like he's missing the day to day. And up to this point, he had been in the garage. And so we're kind of saying this is really fresh for him to be missing, you know, meals, be missing nap time, all that kind of stuff. And he wasn't working. He wasn't doing the Manny. He's really fresh into this, like going back to work, missing his kids, not being in the just geographic location of where they are all the time. You know, listening to Toby's story was kind of like, like, (laughs) you have no idea what I'm going through. Like I'm missing out on everything. You're missing out because you chose it. You know, you see the greater good, but I'm missing out on a variety of circumstances because of how me and my partner have not been able to work out our relationship and that type of thing. You know, Mm -hmm. I think Toby's going to have a come to Jesus in the divorce proceedings when he suddenly isn't getting to have his wife and kids around on the regs. I think he's going to feel a lot differently. I think he might say a different story about that triangle story. (laughs) He might not feel like that is such wise advice as much as it feels like, yeah, that's, that's a good idea, but it's still hard to feel that way. Did you feel 
proud of Kevin for bailing on the bar and wanting to go be with the kids? All of that was big progress for Kevin. He would have boned that stepdaughter. Oh, gosh. In- Thinking of her as the stepdaughter it makes my stomach <laughs> extra squeeze. Yeah. She's of age. She's 20, 25, she said. Right. I mean, being in a bar when he's uh, in AA, that's tough. Yes. Avoiding the the come ons of this of this co worker that was really obvious, all all big big steps for him. Even the idea that it felt he admitted that it felt weird talking to the to the fake babies during rehearsal means that certain things that wouldn't have mattered just a couple of years ago are really drilling into him. You know, absolutely. I mean, you could really feel the fatherness. I guess I want to say I don't know what to call it, but like whereas I feel like it's, there's a real lack with Toby. He's trying. But it's like not authentic to me. It doesn't, it's not coming from a real place. And I say that, you guys, because I go back to the whole he couldn't relate to baby Jack until baby Jack had showed some amount of vision, like, which is always going to bother me. It's a thorn in my side. You, If you don't have like an automatic bond with your child right away, this happens to people, both moms and dads. It's a struggle then to be a parent that is present. But I think with Kevin, we have a present parent who badly is connected and feels all the responsibility that he should. And now he's not there. And I, you know, I do you feel this way? Because we've had this COVID time. Do you feel like it's odd now to be away from the house and be away from the day-to-day of the kids and myself, even we have a new puppy and stuff. Does it feel odd to have gone back to work and, and sort of, I'd be like, yeah, this happened today. And like, you just missed it. Oh, at this stage? No, we've been doing this a long time. So nah, I'm used to that. We've kind of filtered our what you tell me about in terms of the day-to-day stuff. Do you remember there was a time way back when, this was really before, I don't want to say before cell phones, but certainly before we all texted regularly. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that there was a point in time when we had little ones where I would actually email you things that went on that day? Mm -hmm. Like I would send you an email. By the time you got home, I was so exhausted and I couldn't even try to tell you about everything that happened. I was feeling Madison when she was like, yeah, she walked, but a thousand other things happened today and my head is like pounding. I used to just sit down and write an email to Paul and say, like, here's what happened on Tuesday, like a dear diary, because I just couldn't keep track anymore. And that's where I felt like Kevin and and Madison are, where they're like, they need some sort of back and forth. You know, the video clips and stuff, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't satisfying enough. I know in the last podcast that was relevant to Kevin anyway, I put it out there in the universe that I wanted it to work out for these these two kids, but the signs are are not positive with A, the call to Cassidy later, but B, they just kind of slipped in that Elijah's coming over later. Yes. Mr. Low Stakes. Uh, <laughs> Again, he's kind of the Philip. He's like the one who gets you. He's the one who already knows how to play the games you want to play. So much easier than having to convert the partner you have. Right. So, I mean, I get it. I get Elijah. But man, okay. so were you shocked that Cassidy picked up the phone? We had done our our due diligence and sitting here saying, okay, what are the choices? Madison, Sophie, can't forget about Cassidy. We remembered her. We kept her on the the playing board here. But were you surprised it was her? I mean, she makes the most sense out of his stable. (laughs) Uh, She's trying to make her own life work up there back in Pennsylvania, right? But she... um, Ooh, just when you said that, Paul. But her (gasps) husband is out of the picture. He's not interested in continuing. Yeah, but just when you said that, remember we were like, well, how is this whole thing with building the cabin? You're like, that's all the way up in Pennsylvania. What in the world's going to bring him to Pennsylvania? 
I don't know, Paul, what in the world is going to bring him to Pennsylvania? Starts with a C, ends in an acidy. <laughs> <laughs> All the acidy. All the acidy. I think so. <laughs> well, now he's got a built-in family in Pennsylvania. Hmm. Hmm, is right. Now, I don't know what that means for Madison and the kids. I mean, obviously the kids are with him. We've seen the flash forwards when they're like 10. They're living up there. Madison's job, she was like an exec type person at some point in time. Don't know if she stays home now. Not exactly sure what her world looks like especially post-COVID, not sure if she just works from home. Very unclear. I can see where they're laying our foundation, right, for what would send him to Pennsylvania and that there's already some structure there for him. They helped us, you know, with progressing through this idea that, like we pointed out in our last podcast, that Kevin, in the Challenger podcast, that Kevin does not process and react snappy. You know, Like almost in real time. He has to take it in, digest, Maybe make a wrong move. Maybe say something outlandish. Maybe be, get, be jealous of Elijah. Maybe do that, even though. <laughs> <laughs> but he but he catches himself. You're right. It's just later. He's like, like, okay, I will equate him saying, I don't like him calling you Maddie and being jealous to, can I have more mac and cheese? Like saying an inappropriate comment that everyone else kind of like looks to the side, like, uh, like, you know what the current situation is, right? Like, it's not right for you to be asking for more mac and cheese right now when we're all talking about our feelings. And it's not right for you to be kind of harassing Madison about having, a, you know, a guy friend over. Not cool. Like, this is like his MO. Yeah, they're making it palatable. The idea that they can co-parent, they can be like, you know the coworker that brings the coffee over, they happen to have had sex and made these children, but that's a different chapter. They're moving on. You know, I have to ask you, after last week's episode where we saw that Edie showed up and we know that Nikki was already there and for like a hot second, we thought that Nikki would be like living in the cabin. Do you remember that? Do you remember there was like a moment when Kevin looks outside and sees a light in the cabin and kind of like smiles and is like happy? Do you remember that? Hmm. The assumption was it must be Nikki that's over there, you know, because this was back when it it aired back when Nikki was kind of fresh with us and we were sort of figuring out where is he going to land? Well, but he was always revealed to be in the room with. No, no, no. I just mean like, you're right. You're right on that. But I mean, it was like, who, who could be living on property that would make him smile? Hmm. And I'm kind of wondering if now maybe it's Madison. Maybe Madison lives in the quintessential garage of the big house and is like nearby and they share the kids. He gets his compound. He gets his compounds. I don't know. I mean, I want to keep it on the table of like, who's living in that cabin? Who is sort of this ancillary person that, you know, that he'd be smiling about being over there? Curious. So we got Cassidy on the table, you guys, for for Kevin. Excited about that. I think you mentioned that she's such a high caliber actress that plays Cassidy. Jennifer Morrison. Yeah, she's she's much more well known than just uh you know, she was a she was a lead on Once Upon a Time for several seasons. That always tipped their hand <laughs> that we thought she was gonna come back because it felt like she was too good to just have, you know, just for a moment. It seemed like they were going to try to extend that storyline with her in some way. So glad we called that. We called that several seasons back, I think. It's like, um, what did Damon say in in The Leftovers, having Scott Glenn in the cast, but... You couldn't leave him on the bench. Yeah, you couldn't leave him on the bench. Right, right. right. Once you have some a character like that with, with that caliber of actor, it doesn't make sense not to write a storyline for them. So right. very intriguing. 
Okay, so our last one that we need to talk about, our last dad, if you will, is Randall. Holy smokes, you guys. This is exactly why I don't plug my phone in in the car. I don't, I have raunchy friends. I have people who say things, swear, do whatever. I would never plug my phone in in the car. There's no amount of important music that I need to play (laughs) that is going to let that car read those messages out. How much did your stomach hit the ground when this Malik, ah, the bed feels so lonely? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I guess I resonated more with like the, the dad element there than the than the cringy kid. So I guess. Oh, I'm- no, I'm asking you. Yeah, I'm putting you in Randall's seat. OK, you're you're wearing the dad hat the entire time. I know. I know you're not trying to put yourself in Deja's place. If I was his assistant or coworker at City Hall and he was telling me about this later, I, I would have this instinct to say. I mean, her, her, her boyfriend lives out of town. You're sending her out of town. You're just kind of like, and you text to check in once. Oh, you're blaming Randall for, for not knowing that she was going to go sleep with Maybe Malik? Maybe not knowing better, not having... This is their first... Teen. Well, yeah. I mean, the first kiddo of this age that's taking things this at this level. Yeah, but I just remember you when you were that age. Mm, you do not tell my dirty laundry. <laughs> I was definitely a kid who would have like figured it out. You'd have, you'd have like <laughs> taped your iPhone onto like the the bus going the other direction <laughs> for GPS location right. purposes. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. And yes, I would. We have to wait till our parents die in order for me to tell. <laughs> I'm not willing. I am not willing. Even at 44, I am not willing for them to know shenanigans of this age. But here's the thing. Still, how do you feel? I mean, oh my gosh, the way he kept saying, don't take your hands off the wheel. Like essentially like, oh, we're gonna see every text message that comes through now. I'm telling you, I would have pulled the car to the side and I would have yanked my phone. I don't think, I don't think my father could have stopped me from yanking my phone off of the cord. He wouldn't have been able to talk fast enough to say, don't take your hands off the wheel. Like I already had it out. Like (laughs) there's no chance. There's no chance. I am allowing this happen. Right. I don't know how Deja does it. I'm not incriminating myself. Right. How does Deja not know not to plug your phone in with your father when you just pulled a heist? You bird. You Mm. can't do that. She's a noob. Oh, the discussion points are the parents reaction. Oh, my God. Did you freaking love Beth and Randall's interactions when she's like, lie to my face? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think you were cracking up during that entire part. Yeah. Well, they I mean, they were just so mad. When Randall would like lean back into the doorway so that his voice would carry down the hall and be like, maybe we should ground them all (laughs) (laughs) to make sure everyone could hear. Oh, my God. So, so good. So good. Beth takes point. I think that's the right call. Randall has the speech about becoming the the woman, et cetera, et cetera. Now, did you think that 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 would end it, right? Every part of This Is Us audience had to think, he is going to say, be patient with me, because this is a good Randall speech. I'm just, I'm not, I didn't get you the whole time of your lifetime, so I didn't have like the preparation to be ready for you to be grown, but I understand you're grown and I accept it, but can you just be patient and go slow with me? We all thought then credits roll, meow, 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 meow. Right? I always meow the theme song, you guys. Maybe for the finale of the whole thing, I'll meow the whole theme song for everyone. (laughs) Did you think that's it? I mean, roll credit. The end. Randall says his piece. I did not think that there would be some sass back. 
No. What did you think of that serious tone that Deja took? <gasps> she said, that's going to be a problem. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, she's standing her ground. Uh, Malik must mean everything. Basically saying, if even if you say this, I'm still going to go. Or he's going to come here. But we are still going to be together. Now, do you think that he should have come up with some sort of like parent sanctioned way to visit one another? It well, seems unreasonable to say, I'm going to take your phone and like, I'm basically cutting you off from Malik completely. There'll be no visiting of Malik at all. Like what? Echoes of meeting Malik. You know, they're like, oh, Malik has a child. He's he's bad news, right? So they're like, you can't even think about Malik, right? And then so they had to come up with the various strategies for, well, he can come over here. You can have these supervised right. dates open. or right. whatever. Right. We have to meet his parents, et cetera, whatever the, the situations were. But their knee jerk was, you You're know, right. the Iron Curtain. So, okay. So then this was somewhat patterned expected to for them to like the initial thing is you're not going to see him well i mean at a min you did lie you did travel far away to do this lying so much could have gone wrong we have to impress upon you that this is important so okay we have a we have a discussion now but it's going to start with you're not going anywhere for like a month <laughs> you know it's going to start there and then maybe yeah we can build in this other universe where you guys can visit in some some way that we all feel good about so do you think while this is like a very drastic response from her and like very dramatic some people could say oh my god she's gonna run away she's gonna go end up living with malik do we think like i don't know in this is us land with randall and beth it is far more likely that we're gonna get a cold open where they do have some sort of like we've got to come up with a parent sanctioned way to have rules that she can see him but whatever like are we gonna have to like address this sort of more open-mindedly, I guess. Or even that we're past it and that we're like, so this is today's today's Malik's first visit back since, you know, whatever. Rather than take us through it step by step, just kind of jump to it and then explain back what we missed. Okay, yeah. I mean, but that's way more Randall and Beth than just somehow holding the line because because I think she is a flight risk. I think she could just take off. This is this She's is very what tough. these girls do at this age. Well, and she lived in a car for a while. You know, she's I'm a sure tough she, human being. It would not surprise me if we had a storyline where she does go live with him and it's basically figured out that like this isn't going to work either. She's not ready to be a wife. She's not ready to be sitting at home with him, you know, because I could see, remember when she looked around the apartment and she saw like the coffee cup sitting there and all this stuff, she could probably create a scenario where she could clean and she could cook and she could get a job and help him with the bills and all this stuff, like where it's actually the smartest choice she could make is to run away and be with Malik, right? Right. I don't know if that's where it's going or if Randall and Beth are going to smooth this over with some Randall and Beth magic. I think, yeah, it's going to be smooth. I've said it in, in past podcasts. <sighs> I, I'm here for the big three story. And so I want so much of the thrust of the remainder of this show to take up how they're going to deal with the big three and Rebecca mm-hmm. and the side stories. We're still doing our PEMDAS. Our PEMDAS you, you can You can <laughs> tie them up, but don't, don't make it more complicated at this point. Okay. Or even more center stage, maybe. Right. That's fair. Although I do think because they're, the you know, in last episode, they were trying to kind of compare young Jack and Rebecca to young Malik and Deja. Remember, Rebecca and Jack decide to go on a long trip, run away. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, Malik, of course, already has a kiddo 
and got Jennifer and got college and all got all this stuff. So it's not the same as Rebecca and Jack, but maybe that's it. Maybe they start the pattern and maybe it's like, we, we aren't going to be able to repeat what they actually did. Malik has been kind of a surprise overall in that what you might expect of a, of a guy who's a father that young is they've managed to like explain it away in ways that have that makes sense. They showed him at school and the way he acts kind of makes sense. I know that he had sex with Deja. That also kind of makes sense in like the, the scheme of, well, how would I expect him to act right then and there, you know, but in terms of like blowing up his shot at Harvard or something like that by getting in too too deep with 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 Deja in a, in a way that you're describing, where like Randall might be coming after him in some some kind of way. Or just you know? he has the responsibility of an ongoing relationship, like in his house all the time. You know, that's going to create a whole other bunch of responsibilities for him that he was already struggling. I think Malik would might be actually man enough or person enough, human enough to be like. You got to go home. This isn't, this is a terrible idea. I, we're not doing this. Well, I could see that playing out then too. And her, her having to think better of it because of that. That makes a lot of sense. I'm for it. Okay. So the very last little nugget that we haven't discussed is the fact that the end of our bad day for Jack, that he turns around with ice cream and movies and, and a happy night. And he thinks, okay, you were totally right, Rebecca. You can turn a, a bad day around ends with this little tiny phone call. It's not always uh, a positive reframing on on a bad day. Sometimes a bad day can just get worse. Very true. So we have the loss of Jack's mom, who, to be honest with you, has not been on our chessboard here for a very long time. And so I did not know we were going to go back and revisit anything having to do with Jack's past. I feel like if this next episode is going to be about Jack's past, I'm kind of confused because we had said so much. I really think this is Rebecca's season. The only reason I can find that we would have to go visit this mother story is that the theme of the season is not Rebecca. The theme of the season is moms. Yeah. And so, setting up this idea of, of losing a morning of how the Pearsons or a Pearson processes that and maybe drawing comparisons and contrast to what we've already seen with how the younger, older, Say again? The well, well, yeah, they're they're younger than Jack, but older now because they're in the future. It's okay, yeah. The future generations, I guess, of Pearsons maybe do better. Yeah, you know, and that would be Jack's hope, right? Would be that, like, however he he lived his life, even down to the point of being, you know, when he loses his mom, somehow it's going to be different for his kids. That when they lose their mom, it's going to look polar opposite to the way that he's losing his mom. So I could see this. I can understand that. Um, and so I'm going to think big picture that while it could be a whole episode about Jack's past, it's still going to be okay because it's really trying to frame up, like you said, the growth and change and how Jack really did break the cycle for his own kids. This is Caroline. This is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Audible, wherever you listen to podcasts and you're listening to this one, please subscribe and rate us five stars. Give us a review. Help other people find the podcast. Everybody will love it. Big thank you out to Pod Sauce for featuring our podcast in their recommended podcast for This Is Us. We really appreciate that, Pod Sauce. And if you guys want to go check them out, they're at The Pod Sauce over on Twitter. Mmm, it's good sauce. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks. 
thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.